We are in uh, session four of a series called Loved. We've been taking some time to look at a book that was actually written by Johnny Gumbel, and it's inspired by Paul's teachings in Romans. Paul was one of the, the first missionaries to travel around and tell people about Jesus, and Romans is a letter that he wrote to one of the fledgling churches at that time. And we've been thinking about how we are loved by God And we're looking at three characteristics at the moment of his love. So we've looked at the first two uh, extra points, if you remember what those were, but I'm not going to ask in case you don't. Uh, So the first one was the power of God's love. And then the second, we looked at the passionate way that God loved us. And this week, but I've forgotten something very important this morning. Hang on, hang on. Uh, I just have this. Uh, Kat, would you like a bar of chocolate? Yeah, would anybody, who else would, would you like a bar of chocolate? There you go, Sean, yeah, there, okay, excellent. Sorry, I nearly forgot, very important. So this week, we are thinking about grace. And our passage, if you want to follow on with me, is from Romans 3, it's verses 21 to 25. I'm going to read it, but if you've got a phone or a Bible, there are some Bibles around. If you need one, there's some on those tables over there. Uh, or you can, just, uh, you can just listen as I read it to you. So starting at verse 21 in Romans 3, Paul says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So this is uh, quite a meaty passage. It taps into a number of complex topics. So those of you who have the chocolate, if I go on like beyond an hour, at least you've got something to sustain you through the talk. That's good. I'm I'm not going to go on for now, don't worry. But before we head into what Paul is trying to say and start to unpick it, we really need to start with a sort of foundational understanding of God's original story, of his creation, how he created the world and the story that actually we are all part of, like many chapters down the line. And in particular, there's a verse right at the beginning that it's so easy to miss, but is particularly pertinent. And it's actually Genesis 1 verse 2. And it describes the earliest moment in creation. And Genesis 1 verse 2 talks about the earth, which was formless and empty. And it says darkness was over the surface of the deep. If you look at the original ancient Hebrew that that is written in, that that beautiful story is written in, the word literally used there describes a chaos. Something in that naive early creation carried this chaotic potential, a darkness hovering over it, something that was there. And into that, of course, God then speaks and draws out of chaos order 
And we see those, all those stages as God speaks into creation. He brings order from chaos, light that penetrates that darkness. And he creates the environment where life can flourish and so much beauty and wonder in the world that he creates. But of course, in the story further on, the humans that he creates decide to turn from God. And it's almost as though the door to that chaos is reopened. Sin enters the world. And we see lots of elements of that early struggle start to return. Humans' decision to turn from God has brought sin into creation and warped it from God's original, beautiful, perfect plan. And we might feel really aware of some of that chaos at the moment as we just read the news, even in, even in the weather this week. How many people have got soaked this week? Yeah, yeah. I took my mother for a dog walk yesterday. Come to Brighton. I said, it'll be lovely. We'll go on some lovely walks. Absolutely drenched. I think she enjoyed it, but I'm not totally sure. So even in some of the climate change, we're seeing so many elements of our world right now, we feel that we see that chaos. And it's easy to blame sin on other people. So it's the bad people, it's the people making all the wrong decisions, it's particular people, sin is in particular places. And sin isn't a word that we use a lot in our cultural language now. Paul's understanding of what sin in is, 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 is really different to how we might hear it spoken about today. And he wants us to recognise something really important but much more awkward. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word that Paul uses for sin uh, in his Greek writing, and it's also used in the Greek translations of the ancient Hebrew Old Testament, Literally, it's a Greek word that describes what happens when you are doing archery and you draw your bow and your arrow, think, you know, Legolas in Lord of the Rings, and you're aiming at a target and the arrow soars beautifully, beautifully, but just at the last minute, it falls short. That's what that word literally means. And I think we can all identify sometimes that us as people, we, we aim to be better than we are. Our intentions are often good, but we just fall short. We don't quite manage to be the people that we hope to be. But Paul wants us to recognize something bigger than that. Us as individuals, but also the whole of creation has fallen short of God's perfect, beautiful ideal, the glory of God, the perfection of God, the, the love of God that is something that we can never quite achieve as human beings. And this is something that we all share and we see the impact of it both in our personal lives but in the wider world. But thankfully, Paul also wants us to know some good news because God loves the world so much, he has always had a plan. In verse 21, Paul says that God's righteousness has been made known. Literally, what he's saying is God's plan, his right good plan, has now been revealed or made visible. And of course, it's made visible in Jesus, in something that has happened when he was willing to submit to death on the cross. 
Rowan Williams uh, wrote a fantastic short book about the cross called The Divine Gift. Um, I would really recommend it. And he talks about three things we need to understand about the cross. And the first one we've already considered and really is the foundation for this series, which is that the cross is a sign. It's a sign of God's immense, radical love for us, for you, for me, for the whole of creation. There's a Pauline theologian called Douglas Campbell, and he says this, the cross was God's primal intention, the complete impartation of the divine essence to humanity, an action that speaks fundamentally of an unshakable divine love for humanity. The cross is a sign of God's love. But what has the cross done? The second thing that Rowan Williams says we need to understand is that the cross is Jesus giving his life as a sacrifice. But why? What does this even do? What's that about? In verses 24 to 25 of today's reading, Paul explains this. He says, as a result of the cross, we are declared righteous. Now, now what does that mean? We know that the cross is God's righteousness being revealed, but we're declared righteous. It's a bit like taking a test which you flunk, but then someone grades it as though you got a perfect score. My, uh, my son's 11, and uh, he had a test not that long ago. And when he came home from school, I said to him, mate, how did you do on that test? And he was like, oh, it was great, mum. I got 18 out of 20. And I'm like, I have to say, slightly shocked. Really? Great. That's amazing. Wow, well done. He's like, yeah. Or it could have been three. <laughs> so I'm like, right. Let's just imagine that you did get a three. What happens on the cross is that your test is graded as though it was full marks. We are declared righteous. Now, how? Well, what happens is, as Paul says, Jesus becomes a sacrifice of atonement. Now, this is a pretty immense area of theology, and I'm not going to do it justice in this one spot. So apologies to those of you who wish I'd said much more. Apologies to those of you who wish I'd said less. But it is really important, and you have to go back to the ancient Old Testament practices of sacrifice, where the ancient people of God had to sacrifice animals, and something in that counteracted the human sin that they held individually, but also as a group, as a community. And there's a lot of debate over how exactly that happened. Some people would read the texts as though to say that the animal life was a substitute for the human life and was able to sort of blot out the effects of human sin. Personally, I prefer the readings which talk about that this sort of force, this power of sin and death which had been unleashed on the world and, and the blood of animals as a symbol of life and God's sort of pure holiness which was able to counteract that force of sin or death. But actually, in a way, that debate doesn't matter so whilst it's important and theologically very interesting, what really matters is what Paul is saying, which is that Jesus' death acts as the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all 
dealing with this need for cleansing on a much bigger scale. So on the cross, God, because of his immense love for us, effectively takes responsibility for a situation that is not his responsibility. He literally takes upon himself in Jesus all of the impact of sin and death and chaos in the world, the weight and awfulness of all the pain and suffering and misery that that causes in a creation that his dream and desire was that it would be about beauty and flourishing and hope and happiness. And Jesus cries out in pain, as many of us will have done, maybe even this morning when you hear the news, we cry out sometimes because we say, Lord, this isn't right. And that's what Jesus felt, faced with the weight and awfulness of sin. But his action and his willingness to do that was about resolving the situation This is what Rowan Williams says in his book. He says, Jesus' sacrifice somehow casts a veil over the sin or sickness or disorder of an individual or of a whole people. It removes the consequences of sin. It offers the possibility of a relationship unclouded by guilt with God. It is a gift that stands between God and the failures or disorder of the world. So his third point, therefore, is really important. The cross is a victory. It's a moment when God's love and holiness wins through against the darker forces that are woven through our world. Verse 24 uh, in Paul's writing in Romans 3, he says that through Jesus, redemption has come. Now, that's another complicated Greek word from their justice system. But literally what it means is that somebody has paid a ransom to free someone else, to to release them from a prison. Before the cross, we were caught under the power and weight of sin. Paul often talks, talks about humanity as being slaves under the power of sin. And when Jesus gives his life as a sacrifice, that victory frees us from that situation. What that means is whilst we're not relieved right now from the consequences of some of that darkness and difficulty and the power and influence of sin and chaos in our world, and we might feel it very keenly at times, personally, in situations that just fill us with anguish, or as we look at things going on in the world. But spiritually, Our souls are free. And as we stand in that darkness, in the moments that it hits, we can fix our eyes on something better, something brighter, the light, and hope that God has worked out that one day we will see in full in this world. That's why the psalm says that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because God is with us. In dark times, we carry within us a light that the darkness can never extinguish or overwhelm we can lift our eyes to the kingdom of heaven which now we see in part but one day we will see in full on earth as in heaven but Paul says even now this gift this freedom that he offers us is free freely given 
He says it's to be received by faith. We're going to talk a lot more about faith next week, so I'm not going to steal Tom's thunder on that. But the thing is, we're quite bad at free gifts in our culture. I don't know how the recipients of my chocolate felt. We quite often feel a bit awkward. Oh, gosh, this is awkward. Should I do something? Should I say something? Or we think, are there strings attached? Cat's thinking, she's going to ask me to go on a rotor, isn't she? She's going to make me do something. We're like, maybe, or we think, it shouldn't have been given to me. It should have gone to someone else. They're much better than me. I haven't earned this. I don't deserve it. We attach strings to a free gift. We even say there's no such thing as a free lunch. But in this case, this is a free gift. You know, I've journeyed with so many people who have wrestled with that. They hear the story of grace and then they say, but I'm not sure it's for me. I'm not sure I'm good enough. I'm not as good as that other person. What if I don't have enough faith? What if this week I really screwed up and I sort of slipped out of that salvation offer of freedom that God gives to us? But you can't. This is a free gift. The only thing you have to do is accept it. But we need to recognise this morning that that is a challenge to us sometimes in our culture. You know, Jesus died and conquered death for us to save us from the power of sin, to release on this earth a light and hope that will one day change everything and even now is a defiant force of good, bringing hope and health and healing and love to people who need it most. We get to be part of that defiant fight back against the chaos and the evil that we hear so widespread through our world. All we have to do is accept the gift that God offers to us. I love the way the Passion Translation puts it. This is the same passage that we've just read in a different translation. It says, but now the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus. This is the righteousness that the scripture prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. His gift of love and favour cascades over us because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment and power of sin. Perhaps the most important words in that passage are the first two. It says, but now. In the Greek, it's an emphatic declaration. But now, something significant has happened. Something has changed. Something that preceded it, which is the writing that we've just been sharing. It, it will change our lives. It has an impact we need to recognise. How are we going to respond to God's gift freely offered? Why don't we stand for a moment and just take a moment to pause to absorb some of what God said and I'm going to get the band to come back. We will have some time for worship. But I just want us to pause for a minute before we move on. And if you're comfortable to, you might want to just close your eyes in this moment. It's nothing magical. It just prevents you getting distracted, helps you focus. And maybe clench your fist as you're stood. Both fists if you're not holding something. 
And as you clench your fist tightly, this represents the pressure we so often feel to live up to a standard, to the demands that this world places on us, all the demands that we place on ourselves, the pressure to be better people. The pressure we feel to pull off successes or avoid and cover up our failures and our weaknesses. The pressure we might feel even to live up to this amazing love, this gift that God offers us. Now, why don't you just release your hand and let it open up? Because that open palm is the posture of being ready to receive. And that's all we need to do Just like I placed a bar of chocolate in two people's hands this morning, the Lord offers you a gift this morning. He offers you a gift of freedom and a gift of love. The opportunity to build your life on that security, that comfort, that light and that hope. Father God, we thank you so much for this gift that you offer us today. And we recognize that so often we play strings or extra things that we have to do around that gift. We make it so much more complicated than it is. I pray through the power of your spirit that you would release in this place this morning a gift of certainty, a gift of security, of knowing how loved we are, and a gift of freedom. Lord, I pray particularly this morning who might struggle with that message, for those who might carry things from the past, things that have been done to them, maybe things that we have done where we've messed up, even teaching that's been spoken over them, things that hold them from being able to experience your freedom. And we do ask just a release from those things in Jesus' name this morning. And Lord, we say thank you for your amazing gift. And as we move on to worship, We lift our eyes to you, Lord.